Hello. Welcome to the second episode of Joe Ortiz and Annalisa Harper's discussion of The Art of Communicating by Teek Nhat Hanh, a peace activist. In the second meeting, we actually thought that I had not saved or had deleted the first recording, and so we made a second recording. I loved both recordings so much, I couldn't decide which one to use when I realized I had them both. So I submit both of them here for your um, listening pleasure. And I, I hit record, so we're on. Okay. Uh, welcome back, and thank you for joining us again as we're discussing The Art of Communicating by Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, and today we are looking at the second chapter, Communicating with Yourself, which, if you have the book, is pages 13 through 33. Uh, and then we'll be talking about drinking tea and mindfulness and listening to your inner child. Um, I, 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 this is the, the chapter I wanted to come and read to my students. Huh. Uh, so it's interesting yeah. that you have a, a different response to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and I don't know, I read it in two different books, so I'm going to like open them both. <laughs> Because I marked different parts because I was like thinking differently at different times. Sure. Um, well, and I, I don't disagree that the first part of this chapter uh, is very appropriate for, for all of us, but particularly for young adults. Um, because he opens up by talking uh, about the fact that we are so reliant on technology as a way of staying connected. But the irony is, is that we are more alone because of the technology and the absence of any sort of meaningful connection with people. Um, and I was reminded of a book I read a few years ago by Sherry Turkle. And I, I actually shared some of this stuff with my students at the time. Uh, and the title of the book is called Alone Together. And that is one of the points, in fact, it's the thesis of her book, that technology is separating us even more than connecting us with each other. And so I thought the first few pages of this chapter um, resonated a great deal with me. Uh, one sentence that I underlined in both the books that I read this in, um, is the first one of the third uh, paragraph that uh -huh. says, we all hunger for love, but we don't know how to generate love in order to feed ourselves with it. Yes. Like that resonated with me because of my experience last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of, I think the young people with that shutdown, they were pulled away from their friends. Right. You know, and right. yes, you can look at your friend in the, screen and you can talk to each other and but it's not the same food as being there and giggling and having something just kind of happen I, yeah yeah you know um and so i was i was suffering last last year i was lonely i didn't have sure. anybody yeah and i figured out that i could do what 
three days without talking to people before I went really kind of wiggy. Yeah. And and so yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I read this the first time, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. You know, because I was I was beating myself to pieces, and sometimes I talk about that in my class because it's the it's the they talk about it now, the inner parent, inner child, and, and mm-hmm. that stuff. But mm-hmm. there's an argument that goes on mm-hmm. if you are, generally speaking, if you have some trauma, if you're untamed, mm-hmm. that's, that's how I like to talk about it, mm-hmm. it between the you should do this and, and the kind of like the parental figure and then the other like entity inside that just kind of wants to be happy or have fun or play or whatnot. Yeah. And they they argue against each other all the time. And it was through this and maybe another reading that I got into, I I was presented with the idea, A, that they existed, but B, that, that they should get along. Yeah. Right? And yeah. and then, you know, in the mindfulness practices, like getting that to happen internally. Right. Which is a process. It's not gonna be like a like a one-time thing. It depends on how far apart they are, yeah. how, how mad they are at each other or <laughs> at you for entertaining the other one. Well, and I think that's one of the things the author does later on in the chapter is to talk about how to get those two different entities to talk to each other and to nurture the wounds and the traumas of the past and that sort of thing. Um, regarding that line, I, I like that too. I did not highlight it, but I think it's, um, fundamental to a lot of what we teach in interpersonal communication is, you know, you go to even introductory psychology and Maslow's hierarchy and love, belonging, being, you know, one of the fundamental needs that we have as human beings. And you're right. I mean, the screen, even though we may have contact, face contact through the screen, through Zoom and through Skype and that sort of thing, there is no substitute for having a living, breathing person in front of you and having that quality kind of conversation that I think we all hunger for. Right. It's, it's one of the things that when we're deprived of, I mean, it's one of, one of the strategies of dealing sometimes, you know, in an unfortunate way with um, prisoners. You know, you kind of isolate them and deprive them of any sort of social contact. And it is, it's literally a form of torture mm-hmm. uh, for people when they're deprived of any... The silent treatment is a form of emotional yeah. abuse. Right, yeah. right, yeah, which as a kid we used to do all the time. You yeah. know, we got mad at someone and, uh, and we'd agree that we're going to give this person the silent treatment whenever they come up. And it was, it was a horrible thing to do. Uh, so that need for connection, uh, for quality conversation... I think is one of the ways that we express and feel love mm-hmm. uh, in our in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I so. agree. On page fourteen, so he he actually gets into that um, like right after the sentence on page thirteen. Yeah. He's like, when we when we're empty, we use technology to try and dissipate the feelings of loneliness, but it doesn't work. Right. But they, you know, and. Uh, we have everything, and yet it's not at all certain we've improved our communication. Yeah. At the end of that section, the paragraph where he says, we believe too much in the technologies of communication behind all the instruments. We have the mind, the most fundamental instrument for communication. I underlined, yeah. if our minds are blocked, there is no device that will make up for our inability to communicate with ourselves or others. Correct, yes. 
and and that's that's kind of like yeah if you're angry at yourself it's really hard to be nice and compassionate to others because you can't even do that for yourself right kind of thing and that's you know he's setting up his argument i guess for yeah for what's to come yeah for sure yeah i like that whole section um even before that paragraph um and related to what you just mentioned he says um the last sentence he says but if the content of your speech is not authentic talking or texting on a on a device doesn't mean you're communicating with another person um and i think that that's you know, it goes back to the mindless communication. A lot of times we may uh, Snapchat with friends or um, have these text exchanges, and they're just very perfunctory. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of meaning. You know, you kind of share a meme with a friend, and there, there's real, really no meaning there. You know, it's, it's one of the ways that we often alleviate boredom in our lives, thinking that somehow through that exchange, um, that's going to yield happiness and meaning, but it ultimately is very empty and leaves us feeling very, very empty. It's, it's a weak, yes. weak connection yes. at the very least. Yeah. Um, the next section then, the one that starts on page 14, he actually explains how to be mindful. Yes. Which I think, and I'm trying to like change because I was last semester talking about meditation as a means to like get to the inner child inner inner parent thing but mindfulness has just as much an effect it's just a shorter term Mm -hmm. so you have to do it i suppose more frequently but we should be mindful all the time anyway yeah right but i've i've started to try to take a breath before i start significant interactions and it does seem to help yeah. And that's what he's he's talking about. Um, I have underlined on page 15, to stop and communicate with yourself is uh, a revolutionary act. You sit down and stop that state of being lost, of not being yourself. You, yeah. be, you begin by just stopping whatever you're doing, sitting down and connecting with yourself. Yes. Yeah, that's called mindful I have awareness. That, I have that underlined. Oh, excellent. That last sentence that you just said. Yeah, I, I, the first two I hadn't underlined, but I'm like, well, you can't just read that, and you know. <laughs> well, and and you know, preceding all of this, he talks about the busyness by which we surround ourselves, right? You know, whether it's meetings or emailing or um, just simply, you know, if we're on site working, hallway conversations. So we're constantly moving from. Uh, connection to connection, most of which is um, very instrumental in terms of its function. Um, we're accomplishing tasks, we're getting things done, and we don't really create a space that allows us to slow down mm-hmm. and to think and to collect ourselves. And as he puts it, to become mindfully aware, right? And and I think within that busyness, there's these stressors that start to weigh on us. You know, I, I um, think I may have told you, I've told a lot of people that when we first started working remotely, um, I was, you know, five, six hours, just constant, like either content development or grading. And then all of a sudden I started experiencing neck aches, right? Cause I wasn't paying attention 
to how busy I was being and, and most importantly how fixated I was on the screen and I wasn't taking the appropriate time to pause and collect myself and to breathe um, and as a result my body paid a price for it. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> I completely understand those feelings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay so um, yeah, you just need to sit down and breathe in and out. In a few seconds, you can connect with yourself. That's that same paragraph. Yeah. You know what's going on in your body, your feelings, your emotions, and your perceptions. Right. In Russia, did I talk about this last time? They no. sit down right before they leave. And I don't know if it's a Russian custom or it's the custom of the Russians that I, you know, stayed with when I was there. But they get everything ready and they get, you know, their boots on and everything and get ready to go out the door. And then they'd sit down and breathe for about two minutes and then they'd go. Oh, wow. And I'm like, well, you know, that, that probably keeps you from forgetting things and having to climb <laughs> all those stairs again. You know, I, I saw it as very pragmatic. But now I'm like, well, that's just kind of a useful thing. I'm... I'm I either spend the whole morning sitting around being mindful or I'm not mindful. <laughs> There's some probably mix in there, but um, yeah. I like the idea. It's a great uh, practice. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And I would have probably not forgotten a phone a time or two if I'd been <laughs> mindful before leaving uh, school or something. Right. right. So on page 17, there's a section that says, um, am I skipping anything you've got highlighted? If I jump to well, something. I have some things highlighted, but a lot of it just reiterates what we've already been talking about, the slowing down. And, you know, when uh, one of the things I highlighted on page 16 um, is when he talks about uh, writing a letter mm -hmm. and being um, in that process, uh, being more understanding and compassionate through the writing process. And then I think... You know, I kind of think about how we have lost that art and practice of letter writing and composing and just being very thoughtful as we're developing a message that we're sending to a loved one. Um, you know, we do this by email, but I think even with email, because of the nature of the medium, um, we forget the fact that we're trying to connect with the person on the other end. Right. Right. It's um, not here, but maybe later in the chapter where he's mm -hmm. like, when you feed others compassion, you're also feeding yourself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think when you write and there's that tact tactile experience of pen to paper, pencil to paper, it's a different kind of dynamic and it begins to trigger a different way of thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of sad that we've lost that sense of or that medium of communication is not as as prevalently used as it was yeah. once upon a time. There are still cards. You sure. know, you get a card from somebody. But yeah. I, I was like, it, in my classroom, we're back to pen and paper because we're face-to-face, -face, and yeah. I just love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I like to watch them, like, draw the designs on the side of the, the sure. paper and whatnot, and I'm like, that means you're going to remember things we're talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So on page 17, then, there's that section called Coming Home. Yes. And since it's only two paragraphs, um, I'm going to read it. Okay. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll say what I have highlighted. So when we begin to practice mindful awareness, we start the path home to ourselves. 
Home is the place where loneliness disappears. When we're home, we feel warm, comfortable, safe, and fulfilled. We've gone away from our homes for a long time and our homes have been neglected. But the path back home is not long. Home is inside us. I underline that one. Mm -hmm. uh, going home requires only sitting down and being with yourself, accepting the situation as it is. Yes, it might be a mess in there, but we accept it because we know we've left home for a long time. So now we're home with our in-breath and our out-breath, our mindful breathing. We begin to tidy up our homes. Yeah. You know, because and that when I talk to students and even when I first began kind of the practices, I didn't really want to be alone, you know, and, and people accomplish it all the time, not being alone because... Sure. I, I said it once in class last semester, and one of my students is like, yeah, but if you're alone, then you can hear the voices. I'm like, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so um, there's that, the keeping the busy. You can hide from one relationship inside another relationship sure. and not have to deal about all of that. And it all like kind of has to, to just kind of take, I don't know, you just kind of have to accept it and breathe. Right. And that gives you the power to deal with it. Right. Instead Absolutely. of running from it. Absolutely. When I teach interpersonal, um, quite early on, when we talk about the self, this is an issue that students um, find quite interesting, the idea of self-awareness, self-alienation, the importance of introspection. Um, because we, we tend to be um, outward focused and we keep ourselves busy. And we keep ourselves, I mean, you, you consider, for example, what you often see when you go out for a walk on a trail or, um, you know, a, a, I ride the bike path a lot here in Scottsdale. And what, what you see, and I'm just as guilty, are people with their earbuds in, right, or their headphones mm -hmm. on. So this whole notion of being alone with your thoughts is something that's very frightening for all of us, right? So we tend to bring in noise and distractions and we're listening to podcasts or music um, so as to not be alone with our thoughts. Yeah. Um, I, I think in some measure, because I also do that, but I think sometimes you need it to keep your thoughts. If you get circles of, of thoughts and you can't stop it, you right. can spiral down. So sure. you, need, you need some of that to keep it at bay. But yeah. if you never have time alone with your thoughts, that becomes problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the idea of quietness and solitude, I think brings balance yeah. um, and brings us, as he's indicating here, uh, home. Yeah. Right, home. Yeah. So the path home begins with your breath. Um, I underlined one sentence on page 18, the mm -hmm. way in is the way out. And, mm -hmm. and really the sentence right above it, once you can communicate with yourself, you'll be able to communicate outwardly with more clarity. Sure. There's, um, sometimes you can be angry at yourself, and this is like one of those arguments between the inner parent and inner child. If you've done something and then you're mad at yourself for doing it, like that anger bubbles out into judgment on other people who are engaged in similar behaviors, but sure. it's really an anger at self-betrayal kind of, you know, sure. and it's uh, that one can be. I think the psychological term is projection, right? You kind of project that yeah. to other people. But without maybe recognizing it, for sure. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, and on page 19, he says, if we're overloaded with fear, anger, regret, or anxiety, we're not free, no matter what position we hold in society or how much money we have. So, you know, that kind of points to the idea that, that there's never a place that we reach if we're holding on to a lot of this stuff where we're going to find true freedom and happiness. <laughs> Actually, I underline that next sentence. Real freedom only comes when we're able to release our yeah. suffering and come home. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And just, just sitting sometimes, sitting and being. Yeah. Yeah. So on the bottom of page 19, happiness is possible when you're in communication with yourself. To do this, you have to leave your phone behind. <laughs> I, I had this conversation yesterday with my classes about, can, can you leave home and forget your phone and not feel compelled to, to go Got back it. and get it? And, you know, we had, it was an interesting discussion. Um, and they tended to land on the idea of, well, it really depends on where I'm going. You know, that if I'm going to the lake, then I want to have my phone for safety purposes and that sort of thing. As opposed to if I'm going, one young man said, if I'm going to the auto parts store to pick up some parts, then it's not such a big deal. But I think what was missed was, was behind the question is, do you somehow feel uh, adrift if you don't have your phone with you, right? It um, might be and a then, I, then I kind of shifted the question of, can you put your phone into a different room when you're at home and turn it off? Um, and there, it was almost unanimously, I couldn't do that, right? Interesting, um, and it's yeah. not even lost. Right. Yeah. Right, they know where it is. Yeah, they know where it is. But this idea of um, always being connected and having some sort of um, opportunity to be distracted. FOMO. Um, Fear of missing out. Yeah. Phone, right? yeah. yeah. I've 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 had that with the phone, and then over time I've realized I, I'm not really missing out on anything because nothing's happening. <laughs> so <laughs> what am I afraid of missing? There's nothing here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, on page twenty. Uh, that he's talking about non-thinking on that second paragraph. Right. Um, yeah. He does note that thinking and talking can be productive, but I underlined in both of the things that I read, a lot of our thinking is caught up in dwelling on the past, yeah. trying to control the future, generating misperceptions, and worrying about what others are thinking. Yeah. And when you're breathing, you're not doing any of that. Like, right. it, it's It's a... It's been a very powerful practice for me to like pull myself into the present moment. Sure. Partially because the present moment is so much better than the, <laughs> the previously past moments, but right. like to remind myself that we're here right now and I'm taking care of myself. We're, we're good. Yeah. You know? Yes. I've started talking about myself in the plural. <laughs> <laughs> the the we's and these. Well, hell, I split Cousin Lisa out, didn't I? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Bottom of page 20, it says, mindful breathing is the practice of non-thinking and non-talking. Yeah. And I think that that's an important thing when I try to explain to my students, like, what it is that we're trying to get to is we're trying to make the voices go away. Right. 
And if you're not thinking and you're not talking, then the voices are not active. There's no commentary in your head. Right. You're just breathing. Yeah. And that's, it's hard. Um, but the thing is, you just got to focus on the breath and get there and get there and get there and go back there. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is part of the chapter. Um, and as he continues to develop this point that I, I struggled with simply from the standpoint that, you know, I, I come from a pretty strong Catholic Christian um, background. And, and I, a lot of the ideas I could relate to from the standpoint of creating a space that allows you to be quiet and, you know, kind of the Catholic tradition is to allow the Holy Spirit to sort of come into, into your mind, right, and, and into your, your body. And so I saw parallels there, and, and I certainly there are a lot of Catholic writers and thinkers, you know, most notably, for example, um, Thomas Merton, who drew a lot on Zoom Buddhist kind of practices, but of course he also created some controversy as well because of that. But there were others that even predated him that talked about the importance of breathing and meditation and contemplation as a way of creating a space that, as this author calls it, would be non-thinking and certainly non-talking, right? So I saw a lot of parallels here, um, but there were also things that, from my own belief system, were left out. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not good. Right, that there's a lot of good. Like what's, you mean asking a higher power to step in and help out is exactly. left out? Exactly, yes, okay. that, that's the missing link here, yeah. right, for me. Right. Right, but, but I think what he's moving towards and what he's developing is good practice, generally. Right. Right, good practice, because we don't often focus enough on our breathing and taking the time to quiet ourselves down as a way of then calming those inner voices. Right. right? And prayer itself is a kind of mindfulness. It is. It's it is. not a cessation of the the voice. Right. And in fact, you entertain it. Right. You know. Right. Um, see, my position on all of this really comes more from all the different cultures and places I've been sure. and all the different religions I've seen sure. and how I kind of have come to believe that they're kind of, they're stories about why we're here right. that we choose among and our culture tells us, you know, really good sure. stories that make sense to us right. and we choose those because they make sense and they work for us. Right. Right. But like my story might not work for somebody in India, right? You know, right. might not work for somebody in South Africa, right? Um, and 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 yet they have parallels. Like the the Indian traditional um, has, you know, it's, they don't call it prayer; it's it's meditation. Sure. But it's it's sure. communing with, like the divine. Yeah. And even in India, like what they're they're greeting Namaste means I see the divine in you. That we right. all carry parts of that in ourselves. Right. So if we're going home, we're actually accessing a part of the greater yeah. entity. Right. You know, and, and getting right with that. I've experienced it in different ways because it kind of depends on what story I'm telling myself about the experience I'm having. Right. Yeah. right. 
So if, if I'm, you know, going home and connecting to myself, okay, but I had, you know, an experience where I thought I was reaching back in time, but mm-hmm. I just read something that said you could do that. And I'm like, okay, well, I said, so I will, you know, right. uh, yeah. this, I don't know if he's talking about it, but somewhere I'm getting a, a generated, like continued conversation about the stories that we choose that provide meaning for our lives. Right. And that if your life isn't meaningful, you need to find a new story. Exactly. Right? And yeah, and exactly. we tell ourselves stories. Did I talk about already the guy who was like 55 and retired? And this guy I met in Guatemala, 55 oh, years old. Oh, the, um, the one that was having yeah, the children go. Yeah, and, drunk and they only want right. me for my money. And then he like yeah. overpays them. So yeah. he makes the story true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even though it's it's a horrible story and it doesn't fit, even people around us can right. see that the stories we're telling ourselves don't work. Right. You know, but we won't right. see that until we come home to ourselves. Yeah. And then we start trying to find another story. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I, I, again, I don't mean to suggest that, um, that I rejected, um, what he was talking about. I just had to put it into the larger context of what I've come to know and practice. And and I think you're right that there's a lot of <clears throat> different perspectives around um, uh, kind of spirituality and, and trying to create that space in our lives to um, bring in change, positive change. Um, and within those wide array of belief systems, there's a lot of commonality mm-hmm. as well, right? And so and I, I see some a lot of common ground between my own faith tradition and what he's putting forth here. When I was younger, I was very into church and stuff, and uh, I was like the president of Luther League. I was a Lutheran. <laughs> um, but I also... I could not have seen you in that role. <laughs> I can preach. <laughs> Come to class sometime and like, oh, she didn't need to go to church anymore. Preach she sister. hasn't. <laughs> sometimes I'm, and you may fly and be free, and they all sit there and go, ah. <laughs> but there was, um, I don't know, I also sat in on a weight loss group at the time, and, and there's a quote that has always stuck with me, and I can't even remember what part of the Bible it's from, but, you know, God doesn't give you any challenges that he doesn't also give you the tools by which you can meet those challenges. So this becomes a tool. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, yeah, if if you're having difficulty and you need to go home to yourself, use the tool. Sure. And it doesn't negate that anything bigger. It could be, I mean, you could just say that, you know, the larger power has led me to this book, and right. now I need to read this book. So, right. Right. yeah, like the Absolutely. the forces at play in the world, I don't pretend to understand them all, but I found <laughs> it easier to work with them as opposed to to work against them. Yeah. I was once in Spain in the middle of some relational turmoil by myself. Yeah. And I was a big person then, and I was spending a lot of time alone, and the lady that ran the bar, she's like, why do you fight the river? Uh, like, what river? How interesting. <laughs> it took me years to see the river. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the lines that um, within this section that I highlighted is on page 22, and it's the first um, paragraph uh, under the, the subtitle, Come Back, when he says, the quiet 
of non-thinking and non-talking gives us the space to truly listen to ourselves. We don't have to try to get away from our suffering. We don't have to cover up what is unpleasant in us. In fact, we try to be there for ourselves to understand so that we can transform. And, you know, again, that, that's something that strongly resonate, resonates with me, right? You know, that whole notion of creating a space that allows you to uh, sort, discern, heal, um, whatever it is you might need. And, and that can only happen with the quieting down of your body, which is largely done. And this is, this is I think, where he's spot on through how we breathe mm -hmm. and a consciousness about our breathing mm -hmm. as a way of getting to that place. Right? I had that paragraph and then the next one. So he says, please do come back home and listen. If you don't communicate well with yourself, you cannot communicate well with another person. Come back again and again and communicate lovingly with yourself. That is the mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. You have to go back to yourself and listen to the happiness you may have in this moment. Listening, listen to the suffering in your body and in your mind and learn how to embrace it and bring relief. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> he gets into more like how to go about it, I think, in the, the rest of it. Uh, breathing, communicating right. with your body. Mm -hmm. Bottom of page 23, he just talks about breathe in a way that gives you pleasure. Mm -hmm. When you sit and breathe mindfully, your mind and body finally get to communicate and come together. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and on the following page, page 24, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier um, when he says that when you spend many, many hours with your computer, <laughs> you may forget entirely that you have a body uh -huh. until it's too achy, stiff, or tense for you to ignore. And so, as I mentioned earlier, that's the place where I was in the early part of the pandemic. Yeah. And I started to uh, have to. So, for example, because it was in the spring, you know, this was March 2020 when, you know, the world shut yeah. down. And springtime here is absolutely gorgeous. So I had to become more mindful of taking breaks, right? And going out to my backyard and sitting in the garden area and just enjoying the flowers and the sound of birds and that sort of thing. I had to be intentional about that, you know? And that's what passed for entertainment there for a little while too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of good stuff um, that, that he brings up. And the idea of mindful walking, you know, of uh, that do we pay attention to what our body is doing as it's walking and the steps that it's taking and the impact that it's having on the earth and just, you know, that, that whole notion of purposeful, mindful movement as, as one is walking. Yeah. You know, I think that's a really cool idea. I do go walking every day or walk every day, but I don't always do mindful walking. Like, right. and, and I, you know, when I, the idea came to me, then I would start to try and do it. But it's, you know, you do it for a couple of minutes and then your brain gets carried away by something or you see right. something and, you yeah. know, but I think even just the practice of walking, sure. like of moving your body and your mind at the same time, yeah. because yeah, the computers are not normal. 
Right. Like we were not designed with a, a screen in front of us. That's how we're becoming. Our brain is evolving, unfortunately. On page 26, I have home is in the here and now where all the wonders of life are already available, where the one wonder that is your body is available. Yeah. Yeah. You can't arrive fully in the here and the now unless you invest your whole body and mind into the present moment. Yeah. That's I why that I love it. as well. I love hacky sack because yeah. you can't be anywhere but in the moment. I tell my students this. And if they're sad or they seem, you know, a little bit depressed, I'm like, come on, let's play, sure. you know. And two minutes, I can get them giggling, smiling, and happy because you can't be anywhere else but in the moment. Right, which I think is a wonderful activity. I mean, I've watched you out there with the students, and they seem to be totally connected with not only you, but you know, the game itself and what's happening. And it's such a, such a simple yet brilliant um, tool. It is. For it's a connection tool, yeah. yeah. And, and it's fun to watch throughout the semester how there's more and more <coughs> students. Some will try it, and they're like, yeah, no. And some will try it, well, I want to do that again, you know? And then you start to get a group of regulars that come back. I have had, I've had a group so big we had to split it, and that's wow. when it became unsatisfactory because they all kind of want to play with Harper. Yeah. You know, there's, there's something about that. But, uh, sure. yeah, I love that game. That's one of my bestest. I had some other idea that I was going to tell you. Oh, yeah. Joe, I, I know you're eligible to retire, and we're very thankful that you're not. <laughs> but I think I realized yesterday, as the result of a conversation with someone else, that is it 80 or 85 points? 80. So I'm soon to be eligible. Oh, wow. If, if not like this year or next. And I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah. I'm not ready at all. So, but I'm like, wow, one of my thinkings was, well, who will I play hacky sack with? <laughs> I'm like, because I really appreciate what hacky sack does for my body. Like sure. I stretch, I stretch more when I play hacky sack than I stretch for any kind of walking that I do. Because I right. kind of let myself get away with a little <clears throat> not stretching sometimes. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's real benefit to it. Yeah. On page 27, um, it kind of brings out what you just said a little bit ago. We spend many hours every day forgetting we have bodies. Yeah. I think I spent 45 years forgetting I had a body. <laughs> and I, right. I would just feed it and, you know, make it go and whatnot. But I never really thought about my body because mm. it was just there. Right. And it kind of looked like it, too. Well, it's one of the curses, I think, of having good health um, is that... We just assume that because we feel good, um, there's nothing we have to do to maintain. Okay. That. Oh, and we don't think long term. We either. don't think long term by, oh, by any means, and it's not until we've suffered some kind of injury or or illness that now all of a sudden we start paying attention, right? Which is probably then too late. Um, yeah, because hopefully not, but but it's certainly there's there's habits that are important to develop, and I think that one of the things that he's mentioning here is that mindful attention to our body and what's happening. You know. It's almost deeper than that because we're about to talk about connecting to our suffering. Yeah. But when you repress an emotion, when you carry it inside, yeah. 
like it doesn't leave your body it gets carried you know you might experience it as in a lucky way as a tense muscle yeah. but other kinds of repression turn into i would argue cancer and and sure. illnesses in the body yeah and and so like being able to connect to the suffering in a way that allows it to go away is really important and that's again that mindfulness and also on page 27 yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> um, Actually, I want to kind of read the connecting to our suffering because he okay. says, when we begin to breathe mindfully and listen to our bodies, we become aware of feelings of suffering that we've been ignoring. We hold these feelings in our bodies as well as our minds. Our suffering has been trying to communicate with us to let us know it's there, but we've spent a lot of time and energy ignoring it. Yeah. When we breathe mindfully, feelings of loneliness, sadness, fear, and anxiety may come up. When that happens, we don't need to do anything right away. We can just continue to follow our in-breath and our out-breath. We don't tell our fear to go away. We recognize it. We don't tell our anger to go away. We acknowledge it. These feelings are like a small child tugging at our mm. sleeves. Pick them up and hold them tenderly. Acknowledging our feelings without judging them or pushing them away, embracing them with mindfulness is an act of homecoming. Mm -hmm. it, it's, yeah. it's almost to the contrary. When we don't like the feelings that we have, we try to escape them. Right. But in that escape, we never deal with them. Right. And, right. and they're actually going to cry louder and longer, you know, right. uh, because their needs haven't been met. Kind of, it's kind of like your own, and in that case, it'd be like the needs of your inner child, the wounded child. Yeah. You have to be like, yeah, 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 I shouldn't have done that. I hurt you. Which is often the roots of addiction as well. Oh, like, absolutely. You know, that, that you're trying to mask or heal whatever those wounds might be. And so it's, it's something that is now being suppressed. Mm -hmm. And... There's the substitute of, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it might, whatever the addiction might be, as a way of trying to keep that wounded child um, shut up. Shut up, yeah. But without actually like feeding them what they need. <clears throat> right, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and in that section, the very last line I had highlighted that acknowledging our feelings without judging them or pushing them away, you know, that this is. This is something that we talk a lot about in interpersonal, the importance of naming. Mm -hmm. You know, naming, naming what the feeling is. And, and once you name it, then it gives you some insight as to how to begin to deal with it. A little power over right. it, yeah. Yeah, some power yeah. over it, you know, that, that once we... And, and there's no judgment um, or uh, suppression, but, but it's hopefully... The starting point, that awareness and that naming is the starting point for healing uh, and change. Yeah. I had to do that, acknowledge, whatever. I had a little fight, uh, and I, I shared with you on uh, um, Friday, I felt like I talked too long in the mm -hmm. uh, meeting, and then I had a, you know, a whipping. <laughs> mm -hmm. But just to come home and just like, okay, you know, it, it's okay. I did go a little late, but it's okay. Sure. Yeah. Not the end of the world. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, page 29, the, well, actually, I don't want to skip the suffering of our ancestors because that's essentially what you're just talking about. Sure. 
Um, a lot of times we have trauma that's maybe childhood trauma and like we as adults might not think about things that happen to kids as being particularly traumatizing, but the kids right. are kids right. and the world is a whole lot bigger to them than it is to an adult. And, and that, you know, little things can be traumatizing, big sure. things can be traumatizing. And then we just kind of move on with life and forget it happened. But right if we don't address and repair, and I think sometimes even if we do, mm -hmm. the trauma's there and we run the risk of passing that trauma on, mm -hmm. right? And some of us get the trauma that our parents didn't deal with. Mm -hmm. um, they say your inner child is roughly the age of, of wherever you were when you were about four mm -hmm. and has the emotional like capacity, but then so is the inner parent if you've never witnessed mm -hmm. the situation. And a lot of young parents are a little bit harried sometimes. My mother sure. had four kids in five years. Wow. And I remember she got so mad at one of my brothers that she had a hairbrush in her hand and she hid it on the side of the dryer and the end of the hairbrush went flying. And I think it must have flown right in front of me. And she, she wasn't directing violence against sure. anybody, but she was angry. Sure. Yeah. That happened and I remember that. Sure. If it had been more or directed at me, what would I have done? Right. You know, would I even still remember it? Would it be so bad that I've blocked it out, but it's still in me? Sure. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. The, and, and so when he's talking about the suffering of our ancestors, he's talking about that ability to keep handing on unresolved trauma right. just in the means by which we raise our children. Right. Yeah, and this section reminded me, my, my daughter, uh, Annalise, has worked... Um, for a while in the area of prison reform. And she first started talking with me about this notion of generational trauma, mm -hmm. um, where you know a lot of the formerly incarcerated people are just perpetuating some of the, the pain and the suffering that has gone back, in some cases, generations, right? And, and I, I just find that absolutely fascinating, right? Um, and what um, among three different things that just within this small section that I highlighted was um, the first full paragraph at the top of page 29. That first sentence um, I just found uh, astonishing that our suffering reflects the suffering of the world, right? And there's a lot of ways that I think about this, not the least of which is that. Um, that a lot of times our suffering reflects uni universal kinds of traumas and concerns that people have. Um, and I think it was Carl Rogers, and we talked a little bit about this in Interpersonal with self-disclosure and being able to talk about pain and, and suffering and that sort of thing. But I think it was Carl Rogers that said that what, what is most personal is most universal. Right? So mm. a lot of times we think we're alone in our suffering mm -hmm. and that we're the only one who has experienced whatever the trauma mm -hmm. is or the issue is until such time that we start to share it. And, and then we discover that, yeah, I, I, I had that happen to me or I felt that way too. Um, and, and there too, I mean, this goes back to what we talked about last time, that the quality of, of connection and relationships begins to help us and and our our healing of these you know of these traumas whether you know they're very personal or they're you know mm -hmm. go back generations right 
Yeah, I have the the last um, part of the last sentence on page uh, of that same paragraph. Mm -hmm. um, we may have the intention to do something or be someone that can help the world suffer less, but unless we can listen to and acknowledge our own suffering, we will not really mm -hmm. be able to help. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, I don't want to read the whole thing. Let's see here. Oh, oh, but this one is good, though. Okay, at the bottom of page 29, the last full sentence says, even if we're not hungry. So it, it's, it's kind of, he talks about consuming and what we consume. Um, and we talked about that in the first chapter, yeah. that communication is like food. And it's the same thing. We consume, well, let me just read it. The amount of suffering inside us and around us can be overwhelming. Usually we don't like to be in touch with it because we believe it's unpleasant. The marketplace provides us with everything imaginable to help us run away from ourselves. We consume all these products in order to ignore and cover up the suffering in us. Even if we're not hungry, we eat. That's mm -hmm. the one I underlined. Mm -hmm. When we watch uh, television, even if the program isn't very good, we don't have the courage to turn it off because we know that when we turn it off, we may have to go back to ourselves and get in touch with the suffering mm -hmm. inside. We consume not because we need to consume, but because we're afraid of encountering the suffering inside us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then further in that paragraph, uh, on page 30 it says until it has been understood and transformed we carry with us not just our own suffering but also that of our parents and our ancestors and that's what he's mm -hmm. talking about with the ancestral mm -hmm. trauma yeah mm -hmm. yeah the, getting in touch with the suffering that has been passed down to us helps us understand our own suffering mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's um that's very meaningful stuff, and, and you know this whole idea of how we have learned to divorce ourselves from our own suffering through, you know, immersed being immersed. Distracting, in yeah. Yeah, and and that it's a difficult thing, you know. And you know, often hear about um, people in recovery and the notion of hitting rock bottom mm -hmm. um, as the starting point for moving towards positive change, right? Um, but many of us shouldn't have to hit rock bottom to get to this point. Yeah. You know. So he, you know, in the rest of the chapter kind of reiterates, you know, he's got another book that is like the lotus needs mud to grow or something and no. that's the that's essentially the theme that starts on page 31 yeah. suffering brings happiness yeah. that things can't grow unless you have a bit of muck and mud and and that's okay yeah you know and and but he's like embrace the suffering yeah um yeah i found i found that that section quite interesting you know this sort of paradox of that in suffering can be happiness, you know, and uh, it's. Um, I think it's in embracing the suffering. Right. It's you're no longer running from it, so it no longer scares you. So you're okay with talking to somebody else. Sure. About it because you know it and you know how to get through it, kind of. Yeah, there's a freedom there. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Yeah, and when we do that, then our communication with others will be based on the desire to understand rather than the desire to prove ourselves right or make ourselves feel better. Yeah. And I've noticed that a lot. Like with my neighbor, I'm I'm just walking away from points of of conversation that have been provided by the media yeah. so that I can disagree with somebody. Like yeah. my next door neighbor's a good guy. You know, I don't have to be angry with him about anything, but Back when I was like super plugged into the stories and stuff, I was using that to filter my communication with people and and the story has nothing to do with us. Sure. We're neighbors. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean it has something to do with it, but it has nothing it should have no impact on our relationship. It's a talking point provided by someone else. Right. There you go. Right? In a way that's designed to trigger the the traumas without resolving them mm -hmm. but keep us tuned in so we can escape them mm -hmm. in the anger that you provide us kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. absolutely yeah yeah and in fact page 30 last sentence of the top paragraph we consume not because we need to consume but because we're afraid of encountering the suffering inside of yeah. yeah yeah all right so we have two there's two more things i want to just kind of pop in on the drinking tea and mindfulness on yeah. page 149. I'm like, oh, dude, you are so pushing tea. But um, <laughs> at the same time, you know, coffee would work the same way. You it drink, does drink for me. a drink. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's what I substituted in whenever uh, he was talking about tea. And because yeah. um, I enjoy coffee. And, and I. Uh, I began, you know, going going back to what I mentioned earlier about my faith tradition, I began my mornings with, with coffee and prayer, right, and quietness um, in my own little corner of mm -hmm. the living room. So um, this part I liked a lot when he talked about I can stop all my thinking while I drink my tea, you know, that, that it's this. Yeah, and then it's, it's oh, he just drinks his tea. He doesn't have to think. Right. Yeah. All right. Just drink the tea. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, and then the other one that we were going to do, do you have anything further on the tea? No. It's just no, a just, moment I to just be. I really liked it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, drink your tea. The listening and talking to your inner child um, is, is, to some people, it's like mind-blowing because I never really thought about it that way, like that construct. Right. And if you think about it, it's the id, the ego, and the superego, sure. and the superego is the parent, and the id is the inner child, right. and you're the person in the middle trying to negotiate <laughs> these entities. So it's really, it's it's not anything new. It's just kind of a restructuring that for some people, they're like, oh, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so he's got the... the um, let me just, yeah. yeah, so on page 150, it starts, every one of us has a wounded child within who needs our care and love, yeah. but we run away from our inner child because we're afraid of the suffering. Yeah. In addition to listening to others with compassion, we must also listen to the wounded child inside us. Yeah. That little child needs our attention. Yeah. 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 And he goes on to say, you should talk to a you should talk to our child several times a day for healing to take place. This little child has been left alone for a long time, so we need to begin this practice right away. Go back to your inner child every day and listen for five or ten minutes and healing will take place. So 
it's it's not this one and done thing no, by any means, right? No. It's this recurring sort of conversation that we have to have with those pains or with that suffering. Um, and if it's if anything's going to change yeah. or be done about it. If if you're like trying to figure out how it is that you're talking to your inner child, think about the last time you were angry and you talk to yourself. Because before I started this practice, when I was angry, I was like, you're so stupid. And like all these put downs that I would yeah. never, so I told myself, let leave my mouth. Sure. But I use them regularly on myself. And right. that creates it actually, because I never wanted them to leave my house and I couldn't talk to people. Right. Right. So then there's lack of connection there because you're like protecting the wounded child from getting out or, or the, the suffering from getting out or, or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, hmm. So, yeah, listening to your inner child is super important and sure. it and it benefits all kinds of other things. I started this, this is why Cousin Lisa exists, because Cousin Lisa is me, obviously, mm -hmm. but I was born with a cleft lip. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the primary trauma. I think I told you about this. But um, so Cousin Lisa has kind of a, a, a facial deformity. Mm -hmm. And in some of the early ones, when I'm like talking to myself in the videos and filming it back and forth, mm -hmm. I, I went to the effort of saying thank you. Thank you for doing that. Because I knew that I was mm -hmm. talking to like an inner self, not just right. an outer self. And, and I don't do that well, I don't do the videos much anymore either but you know occasionally I'd be like yes thank you for calming down about that we didn't need to be upset or whatever yeah. Yeah. You know, just being kind to yourself is kind of a weird a weird idea to have if it's not something that's been fed to you before well and I think that that's often the challenge is how to be not only kind to ourselves but forgiving of ourselves yeah. right and not constantly um, shaming or guilt beating, um, which you know people do. You know, yeah. I do it, and I think that there's really um, going back to where we started. This whole idea of quieting yourself is one of the ways that we can gain some degree of power over those voices um, that may be holding us back or holding us down. Listening quiets that which we don't want to listen to. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It's like yeah. you have to do what you don't want to in order to not have to do what you don't want to. Right. <laughs> right. What the hell? Right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Joe. I really appreciate yeah, it. And I appreciate our conversation. conversation. Yeah. Um, the next time we meet, is that a Wednesday too? I believe it is. And yeah. we'll be talking about the keys to communicating with others. If you've got the book, that's pages 39 through 68. And I noticed like our first one was 10 pages and then this was a little longer, 20 pages. And yeah, the third one is the longest. Um, that's a lot of reading I have to get done. Yeah, and right. it's not easy, Joe. Okay. So hold on. <laughs> no, right. it is. It's a quick read. I, it, it's a great little with, book. I'm impressed with how he writes. Yeah, he yeah. just gets right there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you. Chat you later. Right. I'm starting because I did hit save the first time we did this second podcast. Uh, we just started recording. Um, but it didn't save because we were on campus and I wasn't connected. Oh.
So then I'm like, I saw that it said not saving and nothing I could do. I'm like, I'll just go home and hit save again. And then I forgot. And somehow I hit publish before I hit save. And it published a six second something. And I was so proud of myself because I had it all written up perfectly (laughs) and, and everything. In any case. Welcome back to our podcast on the art of communicating uh, with myself, Annalisa Harper, and my colleague, Joseph Ortiz. We teach communication uh, here at Scottsdale. I'm stuttering. We teach communication here at Scottsdale (laughs) Community College. And uh, this meeting, we're talking about Chapter 2, Communicating with Yourself, which if you have the book is pages 13 through 33, and then we will also deal with the exercise of drinking tea and mindfulness and listening to your inner child, uh, pages 149 to 152. If anything, though, like, I really enjoyed our conversation last time, and I was so looking forward to listening to it again because I thought we were geniuses. And I'm like, mm, the opportunity of striking, lightning striking twice in the same place, you know. Well, I was going to say, that that's um, the challenge, right, is to reproduce the genius that was represented in the unsaved version. version. Yeah, well, I'm opening both books like I did last time. Um, so it, the chapter, chapter two, starts out with, I think, a very rele- relevant observation about loneliness being the suffering of our time and and that's the suffering i can relate to not today but a year ago the the loneliness that the quarantine and the pandemic brought around for me and a whole lot of other people too uh and then the multitude of ways that we tried to deal with that and and realizing that some means are more effective than others um i think that's been one of the um the real concerns of mental health professionals is, is how can you help people cope with this isolation um, because it is terribly painful um, and in its extreme forms, very devastating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So. But actually what, and I, I, you know, I keep kind of pulling myself into some of these ideas, but the idea of the stories that we tell ourselves, yeah. it's the stories that we tell ourselves about what we're doing that makes it painful or not painful. Sure. Because you can have the same situation with a different story and be completely okay with it. And it's, it's a matter, I think, of accessing the way that we're talking to ourselves about what's going on outside of ourselves. Right, it's an excellent point, yeah. for sure. This, this chapter, Annalisa, I mean, outside of what we have been experiencing for almost two years now in terms mm-hmm. of this isolation um, brought about by the pandemic, um, the opening of this chapter where he talks about how technology supplies us with many devices to help us stay connected, but even when we're connected, we continue to feel lonely. And it reminded me of a work I had come across a few years ago. And I've had my students actually watch her TED Talk. Um, but Sherry Turkle, who is a psychologist at MIT, I believe, um, has a book entitled um, Alone Together. And, mm. and the whole premise of her work is how in the midst of so much technology and so much connection, there is this 
attendant increase of loneliness that people feel. Um, so these devices that we're using, these apps that we, we often have become accustomed to, even addicted to, mm -hmm. to some extent, aren't really bringing us together. Mm -hmm. uh, but instead, they're heightening a sense of loneliness. And uh, I, I find that interesting, right? Yeah, because they're supposed to bring us together. Right, right, yeah. right. But I think it goes to, even again on page 13, I have it underlined in both my readings, we all hunger for love, but we don't know how to generate love in order to feed ourselves with it, yeah. which I think is why we turn to the social media, because we think that's the means of feeding ourselves. Right. And the more we do it, the less satisfied I think we are. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much so. Um, yeah. yeah, which is, you know, one of the um, findings recently of people who study uh, social media behavior is that a lot of young adults and perhaps even older people spend time idly on these devices, and that's what's really contributing to this sense of angst and loneliness. Mm -hmm. and, uh, isolation is that they're not actively participating within these communities. They're just simply scrolling through. And it's like watching it. life go by. Yeah, it's a yeah. Passive. Actually, that's a good yeah. way of putting it. You know, you're just kind of sitting on the side of the road, watching life yeah. go by, and wish wishing you could somehow participate or join in. That's not a good place to be yeah. at all. And and um, Han, I'm just going to call him by his last name, Han, <laughs> had it, right? Yeah. Um, on page 14, he says, we believe too much in the technologies of communication. Behind all these instruments, we have the mind, the most, func the f most fundamental instrument for communication. If our minds are blocked, mm. there is no device that will make up for our inability to communicate with ourselves or others. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which actually gets back to, you know, Marshall McLuhan's idea about media, that media really are extensions of our senses. Um, and, you know, by default then our, our brain or our mind. Mm -hmm. And so he's spot on that if, if the mind is locked, then there is nothing that's going to substitute for it mm -hmm. by any means. Mm -hmm. The means of unlocking, according to Han, is really that we actually connect with our inner selves, that we come back to being ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so on page 14, he says, many of us spend a lot of time in meetings or emailing with others and not a lot of time communicating with ourselves. Yeah. And the result is we don't necessarily know what's going on within us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then page 15, to stop and communicate with yourself is a revolutionary act. Yeah. Um, let me just read that part because he tells us sure. how to do it. You sit down and stop that state of being lost, of not being with yourself. You begin by just stopping whatever you're doing, sitting down and connecting with yourself. This is called mindful awareness. Yeah. Mindful awareness is full awareness of the present moment. Um, you don't need an iPhone or a computer. You just need to sit down and breathe in and out. In just a few seconds, you can connect with yourself. You know what's going on in your body, your feeling, your emotions, and your perceptions. Yeah. Um, that's huge. It, even though we didn't save the last um, recording, I've even been doing it more since then. And also when I'm like on the edge of something or I'm involved in something and maybe being critical, I'll find that I'm out of breath. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. And then I realize I need to breathe in. Yeah. And that breath changes everything. It does. I mean, what it, what it 
puts us into is a, a slower process, right? And we're so used to being connected um, to our technology, to sound, to noise. I mean, uh, consider I, I go out for walks and I'm guilty of this. I have earbuds in, mm -hmm. right? And so just the mere act of walking about and noticing things around me and appreciating things around me, um, I'm being deprived of because I'm listening to a podcast. Uh, so, you know, this whole, this whole idea of we're hurrying, hurrying, we're looking for diversions, then we lose this sense of our, as he puts it, mindful awareness mm -hmm. um, that really comes from, as he'll go on to talk about, paying attention to our breathing and how we're breathing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we may be surprised that we're not breathing. Right. right? It's so elemental. Yeah. And yet we who teach communication yeah. ignore it, which, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I want to, and I haven't gotten to that point yet, modeling it in class. Like instead of walking in class and going, hey, how's it going? You know, and poofoom and going, right. hey, let's breathe. Right. You know, it, I, it has to come to me at the moment for it to happen, but yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. You know, at the very least, when somebody asks me a question, I'll wander over and take a breath. Yeah. That helps me a lot with some of the students. Yeah. Um, but even that can, I mean, I think it's necessary. I don't disagree with that. But students aren't used to it, right? So there are times, for example, in a class when I'll just go quiet for a moment. And I do that strategically to regain attention of students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at them. And invariably, someone will say, did we do something wrong? Or why are you quiet? Or what's going on here, right? So that whole notion of pausing collecting your breath, focusing on your breath, is something very foreign mm -hmm. to all of us. Oh, silence in general. Like yeah. our culture, we don't like, we, we see silence as divisive. Yeah. And it's interesting because in other cultures, it's, it's connection. It's time to connect. Yeah. Which we're like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> we're not comfortable with. Right. Um, okay. So what is that? On page 15, we start with digital purpose. Uh, when you don't feel you can communicate well in person or wonder if what will you, you will say will be hard for the other person to hear, sometimes the best way to communicate is to write a letter or an email. Uh, I think we talked about this last time. If you can write a letter that's full of understanding and compassion, as, as Han says, you, uh, then during the time of the writing the letter, you will nourish yourself. Mm. That, and doesn't he gets into breathing even as you before you write the letter and breathing with the intent to convey mm -hmm. nourishing things, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like you get nourished by touching the nourishment. Sure. Yeah, and producing it, even yeah. if you don't ever end, end up sending the letter. But why wouldn't you send a nourishing letter? Right. right. I've had two opportunities to just do something nourishing for someone as a result of reading that and I, wow. and I did it yeah you know and and to what very was good effect of that? did you uh, unexpected have a notes of appreciation are almost always like like almost overwhelming for the sure. other person sure it brings it, joy yeah yeah uh and one it, um one of my friends was on facebook and it was his birthday and I sent him a side note. I don't always comment on Facebook if I have other ways of 
comment because I don't want Facebook to control or be, <laughs> be visibly sure. in control of my world. So I sent him a message, maybe on Messenger. I'm like, Facebook says it's your birthday today. If that's true, happy birthday. And mm. He was a couple days getting back to me. He's like, hey, I wasn't on Facebook for a while, but it was true, and thanks. And he's like, I'm sorry I missed your message. I hope you're all good. And I wrote back, I'm like, of course I'm all good. You know, I yeah. think about you a whole lot more than I ever say so. Your birthday is just an opportunity to say so. Oh, that's very kind. Right? And yeah. he came back. He's like, that's the best response I've ever had. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, I did. That's well. so kind. Well, you know, I think it comes from becoming mindful and, yeah. and going through stuff like this and then seeing the opportunity to put it into action. Yeah. And yeah. along those same lines... Um, the last sentence of the next to last paragraph at the uh, bottom of page 16, he says, the next time you hold the phone, look at it and remember that its purpose is to help you communicate with compassion, which I, I, I highlighted that because I absolutely love the fact that, you know, again, you're back to mindful awareness, that this is just a tool, right? And, and just as though you were to pick up a hammer, you don't just pick up the hammer and start banging the heck out of everything around mm -hmm. you. There's a purpose for that hammer. Mm -hmm. There's a and time and place for there's it. There's a time and place mm -hmm. for it. And in a similar fashion, when we're either writing a letter or writing out a text or, or writing an email or placing a phone call, that mindful attention to you know, what is it that I want to say mm -hmm. to the person who's going to be receiving this? And is it really going to be a message that is infused with compassion, right? As opposed to something that's just thoughtlessly hammered out mm -hmm. or in a perfunctory way put out there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and as with your friend, I think that forethought has much more impact on the friendship or on the love related, you know, to whomever the mm -hmm. message is being sent. Right. What are the? They're not sweet nothings. It is kind of a sweet nothing. Like you need sweet nothings mm -hmm. in in relationships. It, it's kind of a sweet nothing, but I think it's the intent of of the of the intent that creates the message sometimes. Sure. Yeah. 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 Very much so. Yeah. Um, on page seventeen, he's talking about coming home, and um, I don't know because. When I talk to my students about meditation or being quiet or, you know, listening to the voices, because a lot of times in my classes we talk about the inner parent and the inner child and or the inner critic and, and, the, and yeah. the victim or whatnot and how they argue with each other inside our heads all the time. Sure. Um, and it can be quite messy and a lot of people will choose or try not to be alone because they don't want to listen to that conversation. Yes. When that is precisely what we need to do in order to make the conversation go away. Right. Right. We and and he gets into this later on. We run from suffering yeah. rather than engaging it. Uh, just yesterday in class, one of the students did a a project on improving her communication with her roommate. Mm -hmm. uh, and the biggest thing that she realized was that they had to talk to each other instead of avoid talking to each other, oh, yeah. right? Because it's in the avoidance that the problem like grows inside our head or yeah. the story it we magnifies. tell. Yeah. 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 And so that's why I wow. like this, this coming home. Cause she's like, yeah, we just need to talk more. And what was making it bad is that we weren't talking. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, in that section, I highlighted the sentence where he says home is inside us. Coming home requires 
only sitting down and being with yourself, accepting the situation as it is. Uh-huh. Which I think is that too is a challenge, um, you know, sometimes for me that I wish the situation was different. Um, why does it have to be like this? Why is it good? But instead of starting from the point of being centered and accepting, this is the reality I'm having to respond to or mm-hmm. deal with. So mm-hmm. now what path am I going to take to move towards this situation as opposed to wish that it wasn't mm-hmm. happening? But not even just the situation outside us, the situation inside us. Because he goes on to say, yes, it might be a mess in there, uh, but we accept it because we know we've left home for a long time. So now we're home with our in-breath and our out-breath, our mindful breathing. We begin to tidy up our homes. Right. It's not clean with one episode. You know, in fact, there's always something to find, I think. Yeah. in the, in the paragraph previous to where you read, he, he says, home is the place where loneliness disappears, mm. which I think is really profound. And I did start doing this last year, and I was much more lonely. And, and my situation hasn't changed, you know, mm-hmm. dramatically yet. I'm teaching again, and that is a huge thing, and that does generate sure. a lot for the rest of my life. But at the same time, I've learned to be with myself, mm. right? Gone through just some weird, I suppose you'd call it metaphysical, but just the mindfulness of knowing that I need to love myself more. Right. And now when I listen to people and they're unhappy, I'm like, oh, that person needs to love themselves more. Right. And sometimes when I hear people talking about or being a, a critic to their inner self, I'll just sit there and hug myself on mm. the inside, which is weird, but right. it's very comforting because I'm like, well, maybe I've kind of already crossed some of this. I don't sure. want to get it so, yeah. you know, um, I don't ever want to leave it alone so long that it's as discombobulated as it was the, the first time I went last time. Right, right. Yeah. So communicating with the breath, it, I mean, that becomes like the most... important thing on page 18 at the very top it says once you can communicate with yourself you'll be able to communicate outwardly with more clarity right the way in is the way out yeah yeah and and it's huge how we talk to ourselves how we think to ourselves ends up coming out and how we communicate to others oh without question yeah yeah without question that um most of our behavior is a reflection of what's going on inside of us, mm-hmm. right? Which is, you know, in the interpersonal class, <clears throat> we talk about um, the idea of displacement of anger that, you know, you kind of get bitchy and moany towards a roommate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not really the roommate that I'm upset with or the situation that the roommate, you know, is currently in that I'm upset with. It's something that I just haven't reconciled within myself, stress or whatever it might be. Um, And so we talk about that, that sometimes we have to pay attention to these outbursts. And and is it really about the roommate or is it something else? You know, and almost always it's something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, usually Um, when we're angry, when somebody else's behavior triggers anger in ourselves, it, we're, given an instance of self-betrayal. Yeah, like, yeah. If somebody gets something that we didn't feel like we could advocate for, we're mad at ourselves for not advocating. Yeah. We can sit here. Right. I can see. 
Oh, well, you can't see. The lights just went out, just for those of you who are listening to our podcast. Yeah, we're in a motion-sensitive room, so. Huh, and it's back on again. Yeah. Took us 20, 20 minutes to, to get those lights to fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this, this section of the chapter, um, I, I think I mentioned to you, is one where I, I certainly, um, it resonates with me from the standpoint of the importance of breathing. So when he says, you know, the air is entering my body, the air is leaving my body, breathing in and breathing out is a practice of freedom. <clears throat> I do not disagree that learning to quiet yourself, learning to pay attention to your breathing pattern is an important starting point for communicating more with more compassion towards others and more authentically. Um, as we go on though, there are things that I think are reflective of his sort of philosophical bent, yeah. Ben, that, that is somewhat at odds with my own personal Catholic upbringing. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are, are certainly areas where there's common agreement, but there's also areas where I think, well, there's a little bit more than just paying attention to your breathing, right? Yeah. That's a starting point from sort of Catholic traditions, but there's much more in terms of the reason why you're doing that and what you're, what you're calling forth through that breathing and that calming down, right? In terms of just prayer and and that sort of thing. But again, uh, I mean, it's. But it it goes back to the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. Like the yeah. the stories we plug in that give meaning to our lives. Right. And right. there are studies that show that people are happier if they have a story that guides their behavior and tells them what to do. Sure. And and so that's why religious stories work for us, you know. Yeah, yeah. But the kind of story that works for us is going to be dependent on who we are right. and and what our culture is. And so, right, right. Um, Han isn't necessarily writing for individualists, you no. know. <laughs> and and he's not writing at a level where people are like all about themselves. Like, yeah. I think for this to work, you have to have at some level a desire to communicate with others and realize that. Maybe you're not doing it as effectively as you want to, and sure. you want to figure that out. Yeah. But um, yeah. so I see religions as, as not not to belittle it, but as stories, big guiding stories sure. that we can plug into. Sure. And and I was definitely trained in the in the Christian religion. You know, I could talk about being a good Samaritan. And when I do stuff yeah. for people who are on the side of the road waiting for somebody to help, you know, I kind of, I reference that sometimes. Well, of course you stop and help. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, like yeah. we have laws that support these kinds of things. Yeah. But at the same time, that story doesn't work for everybody. Sure. And so um, sure. I think in Han's work, we can find something that is, because it's so part of humanity, we can relate at least on some level. And prayer itself right. is mindfulness. Right. You know, right. it's kind of directed in a different way. Like we're directing inward and, and maybe in prayer we're directing upward, but yeah. we're still accessing spirit. Right. You know, so. Right. Which is a good point. I mean, there, there certainly is a real strong universal thing in terms of the focus that he's placing on the importance of going inward mm -hmm. and essentially collecting yourself, mm -hmm. right? And in this case, through breathing. 
And if the in, if we are all part of God, going inward is connection with the divine. Yeah. As opposed to seeing God as separate and having to go up. Right. So going in, you could be going to the Lord. Right. We right. just wouldn't say it like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, Harper. Um, <laughs> Yeah, on the bottom of page 19, I have happiness is possible when you're in communication with yourself. Mm. And to do this, yeah, you got to leave your telephone behind. Yeah. yeah, when you attend a meeting or an event, you turn off your telephone. Why? Because you want to communicate and absorb others' communication. Mm -hmm. It is the same when communicating with yourself. This kind of communication is not possible with the phone. He's he's really down on phones, it seems, right? Or, <laughs> and that was pre-pandemic. Or, pre or, <laughs> or probably, uh, no, that's unfair. That statement's unfair. I think, you know, he's very clearly looking at phones as tools. Right. And, and not as something that is an integral part of your being. Right, right. So. right. And they're intrusive. Yeah. In his, yeah. you can just kind of see it, they're yeah. intrusive. Yeah. And they are, because you get, sometimes you play on the phone so you don't have to be with yourself. Right, yeah, yeah. When, if you could just yeah. be with yourself, you wouldn't need to play on the phone. It's so there weird. It's yeah. so weird. Right. Yeah, um, in that same paragraph, it says, to communicate with ourselves, we need to practice non-thinking and non-talking. Mm. Um, not in the next paragraph. Non-thinking is a very important practice. Of course, thinking and talking can be productive too, especially when our minds and feelings are clear. But a lot of our thinking is caught up in dwelling on the past, trying to control the future, generating misperceptions, and worrying about what others are thinking. Yeah, that's, it's hard to quiet the noise inside the head. Uh -huh. and, and I think, you know, the, <clears throat> among many things that I think are really, really good um, within this section, even though, again, I, I philosophically had some mm. areas where I departed, but, but this whole notion of discipline and practice, mm -hmm. it doesn't happen like in one session, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think that that, because we have become so accustomed to just letting all this noise inside our head dominate, even to the point where, you know, it can affect people's sleep. Right? You hear those stories. It's my own story. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I've got all these issues that I'm trying to deal with, whether it's you know family or, or work or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. So just a discipline of learning to, to breathe and to quiet your mind and to be free of any distractions such as a phone. Um, it's huge. It's huge. And, and it takes, it's essentially like what weightlifters do, right? You don't go in and immediately lift the thousand, thousand pound weight. I mean, you have to work your way up to it. And this is very, very similar to that. Yeah. Meditation, I think, is a deeper form of the mindful breathing. Yeah. And there is a fast forward for that. Have you heard of binaural meditation? No. Yeah, so there's music that they play that it has different tones that your brain registers at different levels. 
and some of it they actually go in and do some subliminal coding mm. but they have the tones and then they have the code and so whatever like the focus of that particular like mm -hmm. recording is that gets into your brain faster oh. um, because you're in the mindful awareness suggestive state and then it's going on inside your brain in a way that uh, you're open to okay and so when I have students that are like really want to fast forward it, I suggest the aural, um, binaural beats, binaural meditation. Okay. Binaural. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, because we are who we are, we have figured out how, in, in as much as is possible, to even fast forward connecting with ourselves. Yeah. It's still not going to happen and be done in one session. Like, that's <laughs> just like... It's, it's actually antithetical to the whole thing because the idea is that you're always in communication with yourself right. once you get there, yeah. kind of. Once you stop running away from yourself, you're always there yeah. with yourself. It becomes a perpetual thing. Yeah. The other thing I've outlined within this section on page 21, mm -hmm. uh, the third, um, well, actually, it's the second full paragraph, the first sentence, where he says that mindfulness lets us listen to the pain, the sorrow, and the fear inside. When we see that some suffering or some pain is coming up, we don't try to run away from it. In fact, we have to go back and take care of it. So, you know, this is right back to the point raised earlier about, you know, you deal with the reality that you're in mm -hmm. right now. Don't, don't try to wish it away. Right, or should it away. Don't should, should it, on yeah. yourself, because yeah. we should all over ourselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, should, I should do this. I should have done this. Right. Okay, I'm going to continue that same paragraph. It says, we're not afraid of being overwhelmed because we know how to breathe and how to walk so as to generate enough energy of mindfulness to recognize and take care of the suffering. Mm. If you have enough mindfulness generated by the practice of mindful breathing and walking, you're no longer afraid to be with yourself. Yeah. And I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, but like right before that paragraph, he says, when we stop thinking and talking, we begin to listen to ourselves. And that's when we start to notice suffering. Yeah. And that's oftentimes why we don't want to do the mindfulness because we want to run away from the suffering. But Right. Yeah, surround ourselves with all the diversions and distractions. Yeah. The only way past is through. Yeah. yeah, and then the last sentence on page 22 at the bottom of that section, uh, the truth is that mindfulness will do much more than a phone to protect you, help you suffer less, and improve your communication. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. I even, like, on page 22 under the comeback section, Second paragraph, um, please do come back home and listen to yourself. If you don't communicate well with yourself, you cannot communicate well with another person. Right. Come back again and again and communicate lovingly with yourself. That yeah. is the practice. Yeah, it's absolutely the practice. And it's the, the basis upon which, um, you know, in the interpersonal class, we talk about, um, I think we may have referenced this in the first uh, episode, but the notion of emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and the one of the primary components of that is self-awareness. You know, that I really need to understand myself as a basis for being able to connect well with other people. Right. It's interesting because there's different. I think you can understand yourself and not understand that you're avoiding yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know, because you think really? you got it. Uh, I, oh yeah, okay. I think so. I. 
Because I think for a while so I avoided cloudy, it. It's a cloudy understanding of yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah. you understand who you think you are today. Yeah. But, you know, if you were to stop and breathe, you might find that you're somebody a little bit different. But you're just yeah. moving forward because you didn't breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, interesting. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I... I um highlighted within this that same section the first sentence where it says the quiet of non-thinking and non-talking gives us the space to truly listen to ourselves so maybe that's where you're going right is that i might think i know myself but do i truly mm -hmm. truly listen to myself right um i think with, the key is can you be alone with yourself without yeah. doing anything else because yeah. if you have to have a distraction then maybe you don't know yourself yeah because yeah. I would have been the person who had to have a distraction yeah. for a while. Now I'm on, I'm a lot better about sitting, you know, just Inquire. sitting and being. Yeah. 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 Or just yeah. knowing that this time will pass. I think part of it is I'm getting old. Well, and, you know, to your point, on the next page, I highlighted, I, I just found this truly remarkable when um, he says, when a newly freed Nelson Mandela came to France for a visit, a journalist asked him what he wanted most like to do. So here he's been in prison for years. And he said, Mandela said, sit down and do nothing. Right? And and how profound is that? Mm -hmm. That that you know he he recognized that there is this need at this moment in time for me to continue to be self-aware and self-reflective and kind of quiet and um yeah i just i just found that just simply amazing that that was his primary objective yeah or desire right the last sentence on that paragraph we should make time to sit even if it's only for a few minutes a day because sitting is a pleasure yeah yeah. Did I talk about last time how they sit in Russia? They get everything mm -hmm. ready to go and then they sit before they leave the house or leave the apartment. It, and I don't know if it was like a specific to the family that I visited in Russia or if it's a Russian, you know, cultural practice. Before rushing out to the world. Yeah, they live in apartments and they, you know, sometimes on the sixth or seventh floor, so you don't want to forget anything. <laughs> you know, you sit and there's like a sitting area in the foyer, you put on your boots and then you just sit and then you go. Interesting. And it's just, I think it's kind of like a mind check, a, a chance to breathe and... Yeah. And I was... I, it's actually a great practice. Yeah. You know, I can't tell you... put a chair by you, the door. It, it, it's, it's been interesting to me that coming back to work after again almost two years of working from home i continually forget stuff right so i'll leave the home i'll leave the house and i've left my water bottle so then i have to turn the car around and go back and pick up my water bottle or turn the car around and go pick up the keys to the office which i keep on a separate chain mm -hmm. so yeah i mean that that whole notion of we're rushing, you know, from place to place without really taking time to collect our thoughts and our, our, you know, maybe even physical things to make sure that we're not leaving things behind. Um, That's funny because pre-pandemic, a lot of people, and they didn't realize they were doing this, they were using their drive time to prepare for work. Yeah. You know, and... and um, I still do that, like try to remember things I'm going to do once I get there. 
but long ago learned to leave work at work and and that was maybe part of my issue is like I didn't want to mix my environments because the uncoupling is also very painful. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. On page 24, we have the section on taking yourself for a walk. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, is also, like, another way to get in touch with yourself. Even though I go walking on a daily basis, I will not pretend that I do mindful walking every day because your brain has to be there. You know, and sometimes I'm thinking about other things while I'm walking. Um well, and he even says that, um, he, he says toward the bottom of page 25, if you think while you walk, you're not really walking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just amazing to me. Um, because much like you, I, I, I mentioned earlier that the, I go out for walks and I've got a you know, podcast yeah. going on, but even the times when, you know, my phone needs to be charged or the earbuds need to be charged and now I'm without either on a walk I'm then problem solving you know or thinking about my week or that sort of thing and so this this whole idea of of mindful walking because he says when you take a step with full awareness that you are taking a step on the ground in the earth there is no distinction between body and mind your body is your breathing your body is your feet your body is your lungs and when you are connected with your body feet breath and lungs you are home i have that same section underlined yeah yeah i don't ever do that when i'm out walking right so here here's something that um you know again going back to the notion of developing this this discipline maybe it's the first few hundred feet that i just kind of create this mindful presence as i'm walking that I could start doing. And then over time it adds up to, to be more in line with this model that he's putting out there. Yeah. But right now I look at it and I think, ooh, boy, that's, that's a thousand pound weight that I couldn't lift right now. Well, he's trying to get us to be in the here and now. Yeah, right. Right, right. You're, you're aware that you're making a step. You stop thinking yeah. altogether because you're like only in this moment. At the bottom of, of 25, he says, instead, focus your attention on your breath and your step. Be aware of your foot, its movement, and the ground you're touching. Yeah. While you focus your attention on making the step, you are free. Because in that time, your mind is only with the step you are making. Your mind is no longer carried off into the future or the past. You take one step, and you are free. Yeah. My trick for doing that is hacky sack. Uh -huh. and, and if I have a student who is presenting depression... I will invite them if we have time before class to come play a game of hacky. Mm. And I, I think I did that yesterday and the student looked at me and she said, like, I don't know how. And I'm like, well, then we can learn and that'll be fun too, right? That's cool. But with hacky sack, you can't be anywhere but in the moment. Yeah. So you can't be thinking about what you're going to do next or all the problems that you have. You have to be like, and so for me, that's like my cheater. Walking is, is not... It's effective though. Yeah, but walking is not as fast-paced is hacky yeah you know and so we have to maybe work harder to focus on our breathing versus yeah. focusing on the hacky is easy because it'll fall <laughs> <laughs> right yeah and with the walking there's more space there's more silence there's yeah yeah more places to get lost right, right. <laughs> on page 26 the uh, paragraph well actually the top while you walk 
while you walk, you can say to yourself, I have arrived, I am mm. home. Because that's like the parent and child talking and getting in agreement and getting along with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that you don't have, there are realization that you don't need to run. Yeah. Um, but the, it's the next paragraph that I have underlined in both the readings that I did. Home is the here and the now, where all the wonders of life are already available, where the wonder that is your body is available. You can't arrive fully in the here and now unless you invest your whole body and mind into the present moment. Yeah, I had that last line highlighted. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, if you're not there, if you still feel your brain running away, then focus even more strongly on the breath. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, I think it's it a good practice to vocalize your breath, like because you're like focus on my breathing. And then it's all quiet. But if you make your breathing loud and, and focus. Is that what you mean by vocalize? Yeah. Uh, so that you can hear yourself breathing. And that drowns out sometimes the thoughts yeah. that you might otherwise have because the breathing isn't loud enough in your brain. But you do that a couple of times and then it becomes like coded in yeah. to the practice. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, Walking on earth heals our alienation. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us live very isolated from each other. <laughs> we humans can get extremely lonely. We're separated not just from earth and from each other, but from our own selves. Our lights went out. We spend many hours every day forgetting we have bodies. Yeah. We spend- Either forgetting we have bodies or enslaving ourselves to them through uh-huh. you know, sleep or uh, food or drink or you know, whatever it might be. So. I heard a guy on a podcast, he was he was resisting being televised. He's like, I'm just a I'm just a voice and, and a head. He wasn't he wasn't concerned with his body. And I think especially online we get that way when all yeah. we're doing is working and sitting we don't register our body. Yeah. The, the prompts, it's funny because I think I'm an active person, but I still get caught by the prompts on my watch to stand up. To move. Yeah, because yeah. I'll be sitting Time there for move. an hour. Yeah. Yesterday I came home from work, an hour just staring at the phone, and the thing was like, get up. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, and isn't it interesting that we're using these devices? Because I have the same thing on my watch, mm-hmm. right? It's a preference you can we're set. We're using that, technology yeah. to make sure we're in contact with ourselves. <laughs> right. right. So. Not to forget that we have a body. <laughs> that body they want to replace? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the connecting to our suffering section um, is important. When we begin to breathe mindfully and listen to our bodies, we become aware of feelings of suffering that we've been ignoring. Yeah. We hold these feelings in our bodies as well as our minds. And so when that happens, we oftentimes want to like avoid the feeling, but it's actually leaning into and experiencing the feeling and validating the feeling and understanding why the feeling was there that allows the feeling to leave. Right. When you ignore something, it just becomes louder because it needs your attention in order to have its needs met to go away. Yeah, and he, he makes that point, um, the last paragraph of page 28 before the, the new section, he says, acknowledging our feelings without judging them or pushing them away. So you don't judge the feeling. You know, I'm angry because, or I'm 
frustrated by. Um, we don't judge it, we don't push it away. And embracing them with mindfulness is an act of homecoming. Yeah. Right? So just learning to be uh, comfortable with the feelings as they're presented. Yeah. And just previous to that sentence that you read, I have underlined, we don't tell our, our fear to go away, we recognize it. Yes. We don't tell our anger to go away, we acknowledge it. These feelings are like a small child tugging at our sleeves. Pick them up and hold them tenderly. Yeah. Like that yeah. creates a whole lot more satisfaction and healing than ignoring the kid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and two, the things that we will often substitute as a way of coping with those feelings. Again, going back to the notion of addictions. And, mm -hmm. You know, whether it's drinking to ignore, you know, the pain mm -hmm. or eating to ignore the pain. Um, or even other relationships. Or, uh, yes, other relationships. I've and, often, not often noticed, but I've noticed that sometimes you can hide from one relationship, say like a marital relationship, by being so focused on another relationship like the child or, yeah, or the something. Yeah, child or friendships. Yeah. Right, outside and, of that. And so then you yeah. don't deal with the, the other primary relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes a form of avoidance. It, right. I think so. that's what we're doing. We're avoiding suffering. Right. Yeah. Right. With exactly. all of those things. Yeah. So um, then we have a section on the suffering of our ancestors. Mm. And I, you know, I completely ascribe to the idea of intergenerational trauma. Yeah. Uh, that trauma can be passed down, unhealed trauma can be passed down because trauma is manifest in the behaviors we use to relate to other people. Sure until we heal the trauma yeah. that's behind those behaviors. Yeah. So if a person is never aware of that or never has a chance to heal, then they hand to their kids the same behaviors they were using. Yeah, and, they become scripts that, uh -huh. that you know, are, are handed down. Yeah. And, and sometimes the they're still very valuable. Behavior. Yeah, I mean, they, they do. It's a coping. It yeah. could be a potentially a coping script. Um, but they aren't at the level of mindfulness, right? So it's just this sort of habitual way of responding to the world. And um, I, I first was introduced to this idea of um, uh, intergenerational trauma through my daughter who had worked uh, in the area of, of um, prison reform and working with formerly incarcerated persons. Mm. And so oh. this is a term that um, within that community, um, social workers and counseling psychologists often um, use as a way of helping them change their scripts and their narratives, the stories we tell ourselves, as you um, eloquently have put it, um, so that they can start making different choices in their lives. You know, that once they've been released from prison, they don't have to continue to um, necessarily behave in this way. There's a, hopefully enough support, the right kind of support around them that helps them to um, begin to cope with the trauma and heal that trauma um, that has essentially, unbeknownst to them, was a part of their, their life. Yeah. So. And Han says, our ancestors may not have had a chance to get in touch with the practice of mindfulness. Yeah. Which could help them transform their suffering. That is why they transmitted their unresolved suffering to us. Yeah. 
If we're able to understand the suffering and transform it, we are healing our parents and our ancestors as well as ourselves. Yeah. So I was like, wow, let's do it for everybody. <laughs> um, the last sentence on that section, we may have the intention to do something or be someone that can help the world suffer less, but unless we can listen to and acknowledge our own suffering we will not really be able to help. I think, you know, heal thyself. Heal thyself. Physician, heal thyself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That adage comes to mind. Which is true. I mean, you, you hear stories of uh, people who do work in counseling areas, and uh, m many of them are there because they have gotten some support or benefit or help um, from the pro profession. And... Uh, it, it is something that they now value and see as important and then ultimately it becomes their life work to help mm -hmm. other people um, in whatever issues that you know they may be dealing with in their lives. So. Yeah. The listening deeply um, section introduces the idea of consuming um, information, consuming products mm -hmm. in order to escape suffering. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's it's a really, I think, powerful section or thing to remember. Even if we're not hungry, we eat when we watch television. Even if the program isn't very good, uh, we don't have the courage to turn it off because we know when we turn it off, we might have to go back to ourselves and get in touch with the suffering inside. Yeah. Like we consume so much in order to not deal with ourselves. Yeah. He says, we consume not because we need to consume, but because we're afraid of encountering the suffering inside of us. Yeah. Um, and this, kind of, this, this section to me, Annalisa, called to mind um, when people are obsessed with the accumulation of wealth. And so they're you know, working hard. They're working nine, 12-hour days. And um, they're building a great deal of wealth. And then it becomes manifest in all the... You know, toys that they're buying, mm -hmm. the home that they're living in, that sort of thing. Um, but after a while, it starts to collapse, right? And and so you know, this notion of what were you running away from comes to the surface. Because mm -hmm. it's not that like all those things are still not going to make that person no. happy. Like no, he could have stood don't. still and become happier. Yeah. 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 Without question. Yeah, and that's like one of the funny ironies of life, too. right? Yeah, money does not bring happiness. Yeah. On page 30, middle of that uh, singular paragraph there, it says, until it has been understood and transformed, we carry with us not just our own suffering, but that of our parents and our ancestors. Mm -hmm. Getting in touch with the suffering that's been passed down to us helps us understand our own suffering. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's that intergenerational trauma yeah. uh, concept again. Yeah, my mother, I think she experienced a trauma when I was a child and had attitudes that she conveyed to me. And, and I realize now she never really healed from that trauma because yeah. I've caught myself with some of those attitudes. Like she had sometimes an attitude toward my father mm -hmm. and my mother's past. And so a year or two ago, I found myself responding to my father in such a way. And I'm like, why am I... Mm. thinking this and then the rationale comes from something my a complaint my mother had yeah 
And I'm like, well, why should I own that? Why should I use that on my father? That was her cudgel, you know? And yeah. No, thank you. So you were able to let go of it. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and it's, it's helped me and my dad a bit that he doesn't have to deal with <laughs> what his go, wife told oh, here, me, too. <laughs> yeah. Here we go again. Right? Here we go He still again. has to deal with me, but it's better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm never going to stop being a... a well, my package is pretty... I have red hair, which gives me, oh, and I also have like more Neanderthal genes than most of the population, like 99%. I uh -huh. like up there. So I got red hair. I'm a Scorpio, uh, and I'm a woman born in the year of the fire horse, oh, which wow. was the last time they killed little female babies because you cannot control a woman born in the year of the fire horse. Mm. And then add on the wow. Scorpio, and it's just <laughs> lost cause. Wow. You know, but what gives me a lot of hope is page 31. Yeah. <laughs> Suffering brings happiness. Right. Yeah. I and, have used the lotus metaphor more than once because my students will be like, ah, it's just a bunch of muck and mud. And I'm like, time for a lotus. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great metaphor, you know, and the notion of, you know, you need mud. You, you mm -hmm. need to be rooted sometimes in the mucky muckiness in order to to blossom. Yeah. And, uh he says, compassion is born from understanding suffering. We should all learn to embrace our own suffering, to listen to it deeply, and to have a deep look into its nature. Yeah. Yeah. And at the bottom of that, then our communication with others will be based on the desire to understand rather than the desire to prove ourselves right, right. or make ourselves feel better. We only have the intention to help because we right. understand suffering. Yeah. But Coming if we avoid suffering, place. yeah. Yeah, we're coming from a different place. Yeah. I don't know, that's pretty, pretty, I don't know, hopeful and still heavy. And well, then, yeah. Yeah, it is. And on the, on the next pages, and page 33 related to what you just said, I highlighted around the middle of uh, page 33 the sentence that says, when you see the suffering inside yourself, you can see the suffering in the other person. And you can see your part your responsibility in creating the suffering in yourself and in the other person, which, I mean, that alone is a real treasure in terms of like conflict interpersonally and dealing owning with, your role and owning your role and your responsibility in it, and that's not always an easy thing to no. do, you know. And I think, um, you know, for myself, quite early on in our marriage with Diana, I was always into the blame thing, right? She mm -hmm. would call me on it, you know, that you have a responsibility in terms of what's happened here as well. And so it took some time for mm -hmm. me to kind of grow into that. Takes two to tango, Joe, yeah. It does, it does. <laughs> and, and I think that that's, that's an important um, growing point for, for just becoming um, more compassionate and empathic mm -hmm. during conflict is understanding that rarely, rarely is it one person's fault that there's some, you know, contribution that I've made here in this situation. Yeah, yeah. And what is it? Takes right? two to tango, right? always. Yeah, what is it? So. Yeah. so on page 34, I just jumped to the loving yourself as the base, basis for compassion, uh, self-understanding. Well, actually, I have, if I look at both my pages, um, on page 34, the second to the last paragraph and then the last not quite full. Once you have some understanding and insight into your own suffering, you begin to be better at understanding and communicating with someone else. 
If you can't accept yourself, if you hate yourself and get angry with yourself, mm. how can you love another person and communicate love to him or her? Self-understanding is crucial for understanding another person. Self-love is crucial for loving others. Yeah. 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 Well, there we are again, back to this notion of self-awareness and, and clear, clear self-understanding and not, you know, one that is distorted or... Mm -hmm. um, I think it helps fragmented. us empathize. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think the empathy becomes the basis for being able to communicate in a, maybe in a way that you can really actually like listen and be heard, mm -hmm. kind of, because mm -hmm. you're like, I know how that is. Right. You know, as opposed to, oh, poor you, it must suck to be you. Right, it's just disconnection. Yeah. yeah. Or sympathy. Yeah. <laughs> so we moved to two potential practices to help us mm -hmm. in our um, mindfulness. And the first was the computer bell. Oh, that was the one we did last week. The, yeah. second, the first this time is drinking tea and mindfulness. And um, that's page 149. Yeah. I think you decided that you would insert coffee, coffee. instead of tea. Yeah, I'm not a big tea drinker. Um, so, yeah, the whole, the whole idea, you know, I highlighted, I can stop all my thinking while I drink my tea. Well, I can stop all my thinking while I drink my coffee, right? And um, I think I mentioned last time that I begin uh, every day with coffee and prayer. Mm -hmm. And that's my time to kind of collect myself and prepare myself for the day. Um, so this whole idea of taking time to be mindful of, of your breath and, and to calm yourself, and in his case, with a cup of tea or whatever it is that mm -hmm. may relax you, um, I think is, is sage advice uh, before then just r rushing through the day. Yeah. Right? But you could almost do it any time you have coffee. You could, like, make a little mindful moment for yourself. Mm. Oh, I've got a coffee. Yeah. And, you know, because it doesn't have to be forever. It's like, in the, just find yourself in the now, in the moment. Yeah. Like, and the more we do that, the more beneficial it is. Yeah. Because I know I do it in the morning. I have my coffee and I journal in okay. the morning. You know, yeah. these yeah. are the things I see have, whatever. And yeah. But then by about three or four in the afternoon, I can still be kind of snappy with my dad because I'm tired or whatever. And sure. I would probably benefit from a cup of coffee right then, really. That's and a good point. Not go the back coffee to so much as the mindfulness. Yeah, go back to center. Yeah. 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 And then the other practice is, the, is also is page 150, listening to your inner child. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's based on, I'm going to read just a little bit, uh, the idea that every one of us has a wounded child within who needs our care and love, yeah. but we run away from our inner child because we're afraid of the suffering. Yeah. In addition to listening to others with compassion, we must also listen to the wounded child inside us. Yeah. That little child needs our attention. Yeah. Take time to go back and tenderly embrace the wounded child within you. And he talks about how to talk to yourself. But your wounded child is probably about four years old, and mm -hmm. they've absorbed everything that your parents were up to mm -hmm. 
uh, up until that time. And sometimes, you know, you get to, to parenthood without like all the planning and preparation you need. And you might be great by the ten, time it's 10 years in, sure. <laughs> but you were practicing on those kids for a little while. Yeah. yeah, at their expense, <laughs> right? right? Well, unfortunately. That's a wounded child. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and so we can say, well, I don't have a wounded child. We all yeah. have a wounded child. Yeah. It's just like, how much are we willing to recognize it? And yeah. how loud are they kind of? How wounded are they maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And there, too, we're back to the idea of how well do you know yourself? And, and have you surrounded yourself with so much chaos and noise that you have drowned out the voice of this wounded child? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even though the wounded child is impacting your behavior, your responses, and ultimately your communication with mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He says we should talk to our child several times a day for healing to take place. Yeah. The little child has been left alone for a long time, so we need to begin this practice right away. Go back to your inner child every day and listen for five or ten minutes.